Hello, welcome, and thank you for joining the Confessions of a Military Spouse podcast. We are your hosts, Jenna Burt and Candace Gomez. Jenna is a military spouse of 10 years, a mom, a registered and certified dental assistant, and a certified phlebotomist. Candace is an active duty military member of 17 years, a military spouse of 13 years, a mom, and a student. Again, we just want to say thank you for being here with us today. As always, we highly encourage you to share our podcast. Also, we definitely appreciate any and all feedback. So if you would like to leave us some feedback, please feel free to email us at confessionsofamillspouse at gmail.com, or you can find us on Instagram or Facebook at Confessions of a Mill Spouse. So in our last episode, um, we started talking about mental health. Um, we have taken and basically dubbed May, Mental Health May, um, because Candace and I have had a lot of experiences um, with mental health things. And so we just want to yep. continue to carry that on today. And today I'm going to let Candace kind of share her experience and her story um, with her mental health. So go ahead, Candace. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, for me, like my biggest mental health struggle is really just dealing with anxiety. Yes. Um, Yeah. So I can almost pinpoint like what started it. And then it just after that became the like thing that my like body instinctively um, um, defaulted to. So I think like my, my mom, when I was growing up, had a lot of anxiety when I was a child. And I remember um, that just being a way that she coped with a lot of stressors uh, in life. My mom worked for AT&T almost my entire life, literally until the day she died. Um, and so uh, as a younger child, as a teenager, I remember things like um, not being able to go to the mall with my mom. Uh, because she couldn't deal with all of the people and all the anxiety of having so many people around. And there were a lot of things that when I was a child, I didn't really realize that we didn't do. Um, But now as an adult, I look back and I'm like, yeah, we didn't do that. And my, my stepdad, who's been, you know, my, in my life since I was like three years old um, is like, yeah, that's because your mom's anxiety was so bad that we literally, she couldn't do those things. And so that's why like, we just didn't do them. And as a kid, I was like, didn't think anything of it because it was just normal for what we did, you know? Um, So I think I've always just seen anxiety as a way to kind of cope with things. And so I think that that's naturally like defaulted to me and my brothers, unfortunately. (laughs) So I think it's just been our way, but I don't really think I started having a lot of anxiety issues or problems or to the point where it really affected me um, and, and, and my family and the people around me, um, until, uh, December 25th, 2010. And I literally can pinpoint it. <laughs> oh, man. Um, every, I know. Every, and I have to say every Christmas, like that is exactly what I think about. I mean, it's been 11 years now and still like, I remember, I think Chris was actually the one that messaged us. And I remember getting that message and it just, I can tell you exactly where I was, what I was doing. Um, yeah. (laughs) So, um, 
So on that day, Christmas of 2010, um, I went into extremely early labor um, with twins and I was 20 weeks and six days. Um, and if you know anything about being pregnant at all, or, um, you know, it, literally anything, you'll know that you go 40 weeks. So at 20 weeks and six days, I was just over halfway and the viability of a baby that small is, I mean, slim to none. And so we lost that pregnancy and one of our daughters was stillborn and one, um, only lived for a few minutes. She tried to breathe a little bit on her own. Um, but then, you know, her body couldn't support that. So, um, that really was a huge, uh, turning point for me, really just, um, a really rough time. And I've come to know that like a lot of my anxiety comes from grief. So, um, we went through that event as, as anyone would, right. It was difficult to do. I would, I can honestly say that there is about a six month period of my life where I literally have no idea what happened in those six months following that day. Um, I know that I went home the day after, um, because I delivered them naturally. Like I went into full labor. Um, I kind of, a there's a, I, I try to find the humor in some of it so that I feel a little better, but like I, the couple days leading up to that, I had, um, had a lot of back pain. So what I didn't know I was having was back labor. And because I was such a small person, you know, we were like, well, yeah, yeah, you have two babies growing in your body. Of course your back hurts, you know? (laughs) Right. Um, so, right. So we just didn't really think anything of it and neither did anyone around us. Like my, my mother-in-law, um, was like, she's dealt with pediatrics and children and pregnancy and stuff like that for a really long time. It's what she does for a living. And she was like, well, just go get one of those like supports from like motherhood, maternity, motherhood or whatever the store is called. Um, she's, and so I got one and it helped, right. Cause obviously I'm carrying around all this extra weight that my body's not used to. So we just chalked that up to that's why I was having that pain. And then I woke up Christmas morning and I had excruciating pressure. Um, and I had never been in labor before but, um, I knew something was weird and the pressure was coming and going and coming and going. And what I didn't know is I was having contractions. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, I, I was having a lot of pressure. I felt like I needed to go to the bathroom, couldn't go. So it was back and forth. And my mom was like looking at me and looking at the clock. I know I had no idea she was doing that, but she was looking, she's like, you're having contractions and calling 911. And so she did. And I was, I was laid out on the couch in the living room in my parents' living room. We were at my parents' house for Christmas, but it's Christmas break. Um, so I'm, I'm half laying on the couch, like my upper torso is on the couch. And I am like doing like a bridge with my legs because it was the only position I could be comfortable in. <laughs> right. So and like, I mean, anybody that has labored, <laughs> they know you do whatever you can to feel comfortable. Yeah. So I'm trying to get comfortable and I'm just trying to like breathe through it and not panic. Right. Because I'm like, it's too early. I already know it is. I can't be in labor. Right. Right. Um, and so I'm like looking at my mom and I'm like, it's too early. It's too early. And she's like, just relax because if you keep freaking out, it's going to make this all worse. We don't know what's happening. Like just calm down. And, um, the paramedic showed up and one of them looked at me. I don't even nobody looked like anymore. I have no idea, but he, I just remember seeing all of these 
dudes with all their gear on. And he looked at me and he goes, I have to check and see if you're dilated. And I was like, okay, I don't care. And he reached down to check and see if I was dilated and he didn't even check and my water broke. And he looked at me and he was like, I don't need to check anymore. We need to take you to the hospital. So, um, I laugh a little because after they took me to the hospital and my mom came to the hospital with us, you know, my, my brothers were still younger living at home. Um, minors by legal standards, right? Um, but they were teenagers. They're teenagers, so they could right. like take care of themselves. But so my stepdad was like back and forth and he was at home with them and, and, you know, checking on us in the hospital and stuff like that. And, uh, I just laugh now whenever I think about it because uh, my water broke on like the living room rug and he just took the rug down to the laundry mat while we were at the hospital and washed it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my um, gosh. Okay. That, that is funny. Like looking back now, that is, that is funny. And I hate to say it, but yeah. that is so like something a, a, a man would do. Uh, like, yeah, let me I just clean this. Let me just get this real cleaned up real quick. <laughs> I don't know what else to do. No, but I think that's like what he did to kind of help with the situation, right? Because could you imagine, and I understand why, like, could you imagine going through that and then coming home from the hospital two days later and seeing all of that still in the house? It would be just like absolutely traumatic. And so I, I laugh because I think it's funny, but I appreciate it so much because I think not having, first of all, I had to come back to the place that started all of that for me. And then, um, you know, to have maybe to have to see all of that again would have just been worse. So, so that's where a lot of my anxiety started. Right. And I literally went through, I, I, I know the couple of days leading up to that. I know what happened that day. I remember being in the hospital. I remember some of the phone calls and messages I got. I remember we had a priest come in We're we were Catholic. So I had a priest come in, um, you know, and, in do his anointing and baptize them and all of that, because that was important to us at that time. Um, and we spent the night and I remember, uh, leaving the hospital without them, never imagining in my entire life that I would ever birth a child and then leave the hospital without them. Yeah. Um, I don't, I mean, and then I went, I don't think anybody thinks, thinks that, you know, yeah. I went home, we went, we went to my parents' house, um, and we got there and my mom looked at me and was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to eat my effing Christmas dinner. Yeah. Like I want to, to eat normal food because I've been in the hospital for two days and I just want to feel something that is slightly normal. So she did, she cooked like an entire Christmas meal the day after Christmas or two days after Christmas, because we all were so wrapped up in everything going on that no one really ate on Christmas that day. And so um, I think for me, that's where a lot of anxiety for me started. And I know when my episodes are going to start, I can feel them coming. Like my body changes. Sometimes I shake. Sometimes I just feel very like foggy. Like I can't think clearly. Um, And I've had quite a few times where it's been triggered um, unexpectedly. And it's not been great. One time I had a anxiety attack and I had to have two of my Marines come pick me up. I went out to the ID card center to get a new ID card because I don't know, I probably locked mine or something. Um, cause that's a thing. Um, and, and so if you don't know for anyone who goes to get their ID cards fixed or whatever, they can see deers at the ID card centers and, 
um, because my two children did not have social security numbers, they were never fully enrolled in DEERS. So for years, and when I say years, I mean, I mean, literally until I moved here, every time I went to an ID card center to get an ID card, they asked me for my children's social security number. And I said, they, I got to a point where I just started looking at people and being like, they died. Stop asking me. And people get like, I'm not trying to be rude to people, but, um, you know, I try not to think about that. And the first time it happened, I was totally blindsided. I went to get a new ID or have it unlocked or whatever. And the guy goes, Oh, you have a red tab. And I was like, I don't know what that means. And I don't care. Just fix my ID card. And he was like, (laughs) he said, I see you have a dependent here. And I was like, no. And he goes, yeah. So he starts reading me the information. And I'm like, first of all, what does this have to do with my ID card? And why are you reading this to me? Secondly, let's stop now before I freak out in the ID card center. And he was like, do you have a social security number for this dependent? And I was like, no, she died. I don't understand. And he was like, oh, I'm just okay. And people get nervous and they don't know what to do. Um, so, uh, that was like the first time. And I, I drove right after that. I got out of the parking lot and I think I got like a stoplight away from the ID card center and I pulled over and I called a number of people, but the first people that answered the phone was one of the Marines that worked in our armory. And then one of the Marines that worked in my office, they both worked for me. I was in charge of the armory at the time. And, um, I, I said to the kid that was in the armory, I said, you need to go to my office and you, you need to get this Marine and I need the two of you to drive out here together and come get me and drive my car back. And um, they were like, they were like, Staff Sergeant, are you, are you okay? And I was like, no, I need you to get in the car now and come get me. And that was literally like one of the scariest moments for me because I just felt like I was not in control of what was going on. Right. And um, Chris was on the drill field. So, you know, I called him, but there was like, (laughs) yeah, you know, but there, there was nothing he could do for me at that moment. Um, and they did, they picked me up. They took me to work. Um, my best friend, Jess, um, was still in the Marine Corps at the time. And she met me at the office because she didn't get to my phone call right away. And she called me back right after the Marines had picked me up. And she's like, what's wrong? What's going on? And I was like, you just meet me at my office. So she drove over the little hill and she met me over there. But um, that was a really scary moment for me. And so over the years, I've learned to kind of cope with it. Um, and I, I was doing well with it, I think, because I tend to cope decently with death. I think it depends on how closely related I am to that individual right. um, that has passed. So like with my grandparents, I am, of course, very sad about that. I miss my grandparents very much. None of my grandparents are alive anymore. Um, and in the last three and a half years, since I since the baby's been born, since my three-year-old's been born, I was pregnant with her and my, my first, my grandmother passed away. So since she's been alive, um, slash I've been pregnant with her, the remainder of my grandparents have passed away in the last three and a half years, um, kind of back to back. So I've, I've been okay with that because I think that we expect death to occur in the elderly, right? Yes, absolutely. Yes. We're a little more prepared for that. But when it occurs 
with a child, um, we are not prepared for that. There's mm-hmm. no, no preparation for that whatsoever. And, and it doesn't matter if that is in gestation or if that is a miscarriage or if that is a child, a young child who's born, who dies from, let's say, cancer or a car accident or who knows what, right? Yeah. We're not, we're not, we're not prepared for that. We just don't think that that's going to happen. We're like, oh, we see a healthy, happy little three-year-old jumping around. We're not prepared for that three-year-old to die. Like right. we just aren't, but we are prepared for our 95 year old grandparent to pass away. We're, we're prepared for that. Right. Like, yeah. I think it just is a different tone. So, uh, you know, I, I, I did a whole six month period of like really a blackout period. I went to work, I came home. I remember some things. I don't remember everything that happened in that time period. I, the farther away from the events I get, the more I tend to remember. I just remember I had a lot of people taking care of me and checking on me and respecting that I didn't want to talk about it. And I just wanted to kind of feel normal. Um, at the time I didn't realize how much my command actually was supporting me. And so I'm very thankful for that. I do now. Um, but at the time I, I didn't realize how much they really were supporting me and how many things they were pushing to the side because they could see that I wasn't a hundred percent. Um, and so, you know, it's been 11 years, (laughs) like you said, and, um, we celebrate them every Christmas and a lot of people think it's strange, but I bake a birthday cake for them every year. It's what it's we have for dessert for Christmas. my favorite thing to Christmas. see every year. <laughs> we... <laughs> I look for it every single year and I'm not even joking. Because uh, I, you know, I knew the meaning behind it and I understood the reasoning for it. And and so I do. I, I, I look for it every single year. Yeah, we um their birth their uh, their birthday their nursery theme was supposed to be monkeys and so every year we have this monkey tin that's a cake pan that we found and I make a monkey cake every year and what has become really special to me is every year it's decorated slightly different and um when we are around family it's often decorated by a lot of our family um there's many years where my brothers have decorated there's many years where I get overwhelmed and I get frustrated with it not coming out the way I want it to. And, um, my husband decorates it, you know, and there was a year where I was so frustrated and, and, uh, um, overwhelmed by just kind of everything going on. We came back from Okinawa one year because Chris's dad had cancer and we weren't sure if he was going to make it through that or not. He has thankfully, thankfully he has made it through that, but, um, you know, that was very overwhelming and we came at Christmas time, which is equally overwhelming. And of course yes. we were unprepared, like who travels across the world with a cake pan? Nobody. So, you know, I'm I like, I don't mean to laugh about it, but it's so true. It is so true. Like yeah, that's, so. It's things you don't think about holidays are stressful enough on top of the health scare. Like that, that wouldn't be the yeah. first thing that I would think about either. But we found a pan and we did the cake and my in-laws helped and my sister-in-law helped decorate it. And they did all of that. And I just remember my father-in-law sitting at the table, squeezing the frosting out onto the little monkey cake. Like, you do this every year. My hand is killing me. I'm like, yes, I do it every year. (laughs) You know? So for me, that was a big moment that really triggered a lot of my anxiety. And, um, you know, I, I... 
I get very anxious when I talk about having a baby or having had babies. I'm not, I don't shy away from my story. I'm not afraid to tell my story, but I have two living children. I've been pregnant five times. I've gone into full labor once with a set of twins and I've had two C-sections. You try explaining all of that to the nurse who wants your medical history when you go to the ER. Yes. Yes. I have... Yeah, I have to start with, if I go to the ER for something for me and they want to know my pregnancy history, I have to tell them, let me get the whole thing out before you write anything down. Mm -hmm. Because if they write down while I'm talking, they have to go back and scratch a bunch of stuff out. And so just having to retell that story is so frustrating. When I got here to Lejeune, yeah, when I got here to Lejeune, I had to um, take their death certificates. I had to dig them out. And take them over to the ID card center so they could finally close out the records that have been sitting in deers. And the lady was trying to be so helpful to me. She was like, um, excuse the beeping, guys. <laughs> That's her computer. <laughs> <laughs> I know the beep. <laughs> um, so she was like, I really want to help you, but I have to have the death certificates. I'm so sorry. But when you come back, please just come back to the front desk and tell them you want to see me and I will take care of it right away. And I was like, that's the most helpful someone has ever right. been in this entire process from the deer's perspective that doesn't know me. Right. I was like that. I appreciate that so much. And I tried to get it taken care of in Okinawa. And I think it was just too much for me. I do remember being told in when we spent years in Okinawa that they were like, just come back with the death certificates. And I think I just didn't want to deal with it. So I didn't do it. Um, But so that triggered a lot of anxiety for me. And I've done a lot of things that kind of ease that. Um, But I got a real happy second dose of here's some massive anxiety when my mom passed away, Um, which was, are you ready? November 10th of... 2013. So if you don't know, November 10th is the Marine Corps birthday. Yes. <laughs> and um, every year at around that time frame, everyone's like, happy birthday. And I'm like, F off. Fuck off. Don't talk to me today. <laughs> this is by far one of the top five worst days of my year. Please stop saying happy birthday to me. So I try to just kind of go, okay, thanks. All right. And um, people that are really close to me know like, hey, this right. is when my mom passed away. Please don't be all like, happy birthday, Maureen. Like, no, thank you. Right. Um, <laughs> yes. There. Oh, no is a whole sentence. Back to that. No, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> no, <Period>. thank you. <laughs> um, but I, it took me a long time to really talk through why. First of all, it's my mom. Um, right. So clearly there's some significant loss there. But it took me a long time to talk through why that was so significant for me. And I think the reason that it was so significant for me is because um, my mom was really a huge supporter for me, as any mom would be, when we lost the twins. And um, my husband does not deal with death well. He never has. And that was very difficult for me to deal with when we were going through everything we were because I needed that support system. But at the time I was in a state where I couldn't recognize that this was how he was being supportive, but it wasn't the way I needed. I didn't understand at the moment that that was how he was dealing with it. Right. Because you're too busy internalizing and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And that's totally fine. Um, So my mom really took on a lot of that role and when she passed away, I felt like part of the connection I had to my twins was now gone. 
So I felt like I was living that loss again, along with losing my mom. Yeah. And that catapulted my anxiety into something that I didn't understand for a really long time. And my mom has been gone now for eight years. Um, she passed away the year Rosie was born. Rosie was nine months old. Um, oh my God. And so I dealt with that for a really long time. And um, I will say that my mom was the one who took care of, took care of everything in the home. And um, she worked for AT&T, like I said, literally until the day she died. I talked to my mom the night before she died, the night she died. And I got off the phone with her and she was like, okay, I'll talk to you tomorrow. And I was like, okay. She's like, I love you. She said, I love you too. I'll talk to you later. Bye. And we got off the phone and I'm in the shower the next morning. And Chris and I get out of the bathroom and um, here's a bunch of missed phone calls from an area code where my uncle lives, my mom's brother. Um, and he was like, that's weird. And I was like, that's weird. You're getting missed right. phone calls from Grass Valley. That's really strange. Why would you be getting missed phone calls from Grass Valley? And we look at my phone and I have an obscene amount of missed phone calls. And my stepdad called Chris and he answered the phone and he goes, no, nope, I will talk to her. And I looked at him and I was like, is it my grandmother? Because again, we're prepared for that. Yes, right? absolutely. I said, I said, is it my grandma? And he goes, no. And I said, what's going on? And he goes, your mom didn't wake up this morning. I literally fell on the floor. And my brother um, was living in Southern California, just down the road from us. And I called him and he was like, what do I do? I don't yeah. even know what to do right now. I said, put clothes in a bag, call me when you're done, and we'll be there in 20 minutes. And I, I grabbed my phone, and my husband goes, what are you doing? And I said, I have to call work. I have to tell them I have to leave. He goes, I will call them. Pack a bag. You guys, I am a crazy packer. I will literally, like, fold dirty clothes when I pack them <laughs> to come home. I can see that from you. <laughs> yes, I can see that from you. Ah. I took a bag that day and I, um, I threw my stuff and my kids stuff and my husband's stuff, literally threw it in a bag, zipped it up and walked out the door. Um, and when we picked up my brother and we got to my dad's house, um, Chris opens the bag and he goes, you literally threw everything in here. I said, yeah, I didn't have fucking time for that. I had to leave. We needed to leave. Yeah. I had to get in the car. I had to leave. I didn't have time to fold a shirt. I don't give a crap. The shirt's in there. We're here. I don't, right. I don't care. You have and a if shirt. We do, if we don't you know, have something, would, we'll be able to find it somewhere. I was like, we'll just go to the store. Like, I don't care. Yep. Um, so, you know, for me, when my mom passed away, I, I, I felt like I had suffered like a double loss at the same time. I was like reliving a portion of losing my twins when my mom died. And um, my mom was the doer of all the things, like I said. And so she took care of all the financial things. She took care of all of that stuff. Um, and so, of course, I'm the one that takes over all of that now. And so not only am I dealing with, I have a nine-month-old. We've just driven all the way from Southern California to Northern California with my brother who literally can't form a sentence with, you know, people calling me all the way up there. And I, I was like, I, I can't tell you the number of times I threw my phone at Chris because people were like, what's going on? And I was like, I can't say these words. And I just literally would throw the phone at him. Um, 
and yeah. I get to I get up there to my parents' house, and of course, like I gotta call the corner and all this stuff. Like my dad has started doing all those things, but it just becomes a lot. Like I could not imagine your partner yes. of you know twenty plus years suddenly gone. Um, and they yeah. woke up to my mom not breathing. Like they woke up, my stepdad rolled over and went to talk to her, and she didn't respond. And and so you know that that was super traumatic, right? Um, Absolutely. And so of course, like we take, I take all this responsibility trying to get all this stuff together while we're there and organizing with the funeral home, the same funeral home that cremated my daughters. Um, Yes. So, you know, it was just like re-traumatizing over again. Um, But, but what I want to point out is I'm here and we've survived and I, I function normally and I feel better not great all the time but better and I um I have she said uh, normally (laughs) normally I have you know I've I've worked through a lot of that I still have anxiety I still have a lot of anxiety attacks and but I have worked through a lot of that I'm sure at some point I've had some postpartum depression with my kids but you know I've never liked been to a doctor and talked to me about that I probably should have um but I did I didn't yep um but my biggest mental health when I had Ella yeah my biggest mental health issue has been the anxiety that comes with grieving and loss um and it's taken me a long time to realize that and recognize that um but I have and I think that's an important piece like you have to search through what you have going on to find out what your mental health deals are what you have going on and it's totally fine to seek out someone to help you do that and I think we talked about that in Jenna's episode too right reaching out for help and doing it because if you don't you're never gonna get better you're never gonna feel like you can be in control of what's going on and um I can't necessarily always control my anxiety attacks but I know what to do and who to call I like think at the beginning of the week I was having an anxiety attack and um you know, Chris was busy at work and I called him for a couple minutes and then I called my brother and I was, the, he's in California and I'm in North Carolina. So there's a time difference and he was at work and he goes, Hey, what's going on? And I was like, Oh, just, you know, one of those days. And he was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm okay. He's like, I'm at work right now. And I was like, I know, I'm sorry, but you know, I just needed like a second, but that break in change. Cause I don't talk to my brother every single day. I mean, talk to him a lot, but not every single day that break in the day-to-day things that were causing my anxiety was helpful for me to break out of that mood. Um, And so then he called me the next day and he was like, Hey, what's going on? So what's going on? Are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm okay. And he was like, no, you're not. You called me in the middle of the day (laughs) while I was working. Something isn't okay. So what is going on? And I was like, you know, I really appreciate that right now because I will always tell my brothers that I'm okay. But the reality is like, sometimes I'm not. And he was like, no, you're not okay. Just tell me what's going on. Like, don't tell me that. So that's my like deal. Um, You know, but like Jenna, I talked to a counselor and I have all these things I've worked through to help cope with the stuff that I go through. And you know what? If people think the things that you do are weird, let them think that. Exactly. If people think that me making a cake every year for my children who have passed away is weird, well, you go ahead and think it's weird. It helps me feel better. It helps me feel connected. It helps me feel, um, you know, like I'm honoring them and remembering them. And that's important to me. And I don't care how it makes other people feel. It makes me feel better. So, you know, exactly. those things are important. Exactly. And I know <clears throat> for me, 
I was fighting back tears this whole time. Um, <laughs> uh, cause I know that's not an easy thing to share. Um, you know, my husband lost his dad, um, right out a year ago and they were very, very close. Um, unfortunately he was the one that found his dad. Um, he was the one that started CPR mm. before EMT got there. Um, and I have seen him struggle and I've seen him go through that change because it is, it's a change. Um, yeah. You know, and one of the biggest things that I want to say watching someone go through this that I hope will help listeners is that first of all, everybody grieves differently. Um, you know, you mentioned it, Candace, you and Chris did not grieve the same way when you guys lost the twins. I had to... Right. I guess you could call it miscarriages, which we can get into at a later time. But Dustin and I did not grieve the same way either. And that caused a lot of friction. Um, But what I've learned watching him lose his dad is that he grieves in his own way and you have to give them time. You know, you, when you said you got so frustrated and you were just throwing your phone at him, like I truly felt that because it's overwhelming. It's, you know, and even... For it being my father-in-law, I felt that same way. I was like, oh my God, can people just fucking stop? Like, I don't yeah. want to deal with this right now. Like, I'm trying to figure out how I can get home, how I can get Ella home, like all of these other things. And I don't want to deal with people calling me. So I had yeah. to learn. And it was hard. It was so hard because I wanted to fix everything for him. And I had to learn that I could not fix everything for him. And that he had to do things on his own time and grieve in his own way. Um, So if I have any piece of advice for anybody dealing with someone going through grief, um, anxiety, things like that, is to let them do it on their own and support them however you can. But don't force them to talk about it. Don't force them to open up about it. When they're ready, they will. Yep. Um, one of the, like my favorite things that someone called and said to me, it was our, our fro or our family readiness officer. Now we call him like the <laughs> I was gonna D- say DRC or I don't know what it's called. <laughs> FRG, now. whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever it is that, that, that person that's in charge of that. Um, she was a friend of mine and she called me and she said, I don't know what to say to you because I've never been through what you're going through, but if you need something, I am here. And that was the best thing someone could have said to me because yeah. everybody wanted to know all of the information. And I'm like, guys, I just don't want to talk about this. And she said, I, I honestly, I don't know what to say to you. I don't have good words to say to you other than I'm sorry. And I'm here for you. Um, and that was perfect. And I have tried to find a way to use what I have been through to help other people. Um, I had a Marine and his spouse, she went into preterm labor with a set of twins. They had an older son already and they were having a boy and a girl um, twins. And she went into early labor like I did and they did not survive. Um, and the fro, this is the same the same lady, um, she looked at me and she was like, they're in the hospital and they just lost their babies. And I said, let's go right now. And she looked at me and she was like, seriously, you're in camis. I said, I don't give a yeah. crap about being in a uniform and going into a, into a civilian place where I shouldn't be. I do not care. This is an emergency. I have Marines to take care of. I don't care. And I walked in and they looked at me and I said, I'm going to tell you something. And they stared at me and I said, I know exactly what you're going through. 
And I told them my story and they looked at me and his wife looked at me and she said, when does this get easier? What is the hardest part? And I said, I don't know that it gets easier. It's not easier yet. I said, but I can tell you that the hardest part of this is leaving this hospital without them. Yeah. Especially for you, because you already have a child and you know what it is like to leave here with a child and you expect for that to happen and that won't happen. And that will be the hardest thing you have ever done in your entire life. But once you do that, you will make it through the rest of this. Yep. And I saw them a little while after that and she looked at me and she said, you were right. Leaving that hospital is the hardest thing I've ever done. I said, but you did it and you're here. Um, and I haven't talked to them in a long time because, you know, we're in the military and that's what happens. Um, <laughs> right. But, um, you know, I try to use my life experiences and my, the way I cope with things, hopefully as a story to inspire other people, just like you said in your episode, right? Your biggest struggle has been the PMDD and all of the health issues you've had going on. Um, and, you know, hopefully sharing these two stories with people and how we cope and things that we've dealt with will help someone else feel like they aren't alone and they aren't the only one because no shocker here, you're not the only one. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, you know, we all go through it. And so just try to stay focused on that. Um, because if you think you're the only one, um, you're not, you're really not. You're not the only one dealing with postpartum depression. You're not the only one dealing with depression. You're not the only one dealing with anxiety. You're not the only one dealing with health issues. Um, we have been there. Between Jenna and I, we probably have some things we haven't talked about. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> that you know that have that have gone on um, that we could, you know, definitely understand, empathize, and sympathize for things that every that people have gone through. And uh, you know, you're not alone. And it's important for me. Just to say that to people because you feel very alone, right? Yes. When you go through this kind of stuff, you feel so alone and so isolated and you internalize a lot. But the reality is like, you really truly are not alone. Um, you're truly not alone. And we want to be here to help you with that if you need it. <laughs> yes. Yep. That's um, exactly what I was going to say. Um, you yeah. know, we are here. You can reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram. I don't mind people reaching out to me on my personal pages. Um, email us, whatever you need to do. And no matter what the issue is, if we haven't personally gone through it, maybe we know somebody that has that we can, you know, point you in their direction that they can help you. And like Candace said, even if we haven't gone through it, we can be there to sympathize, empathize, and just be there for you. Yeah, let us know. We're definitely here for sure. Yeah, that's we've got a lot of experience and we want to <laughs> share that with people. So, yes. you know, 